0: Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. My name is Joseph casharo and I am not joined by co-host Joe Wolfon today. He is somewhere out in, I believe, Palm Springs on vacation, making the most of the All Star break and, and the time we had without games. It's like an NBA player it's just going off to some tropical destination to mark All Star Week. Anyway, with Wolfon away, I figured uh, it made sense to bring in someone from the Atlanta scene who can talk Hawks with us in the aftermath of the Nate McMillan firing and cover you know all of the fallout from that including some questions frankly regarding Trey Young and not just his future in Atlanta but maybe the things Trey Young needs to do better and not just on the court. So my guest for this week is Jeff Schultz. He is a senior writer for The Athletic based in Atlanta. You can follow him at Jeff Schultz ATL on Twitter does a great job uh, covering the Hawks and Atlanta sports in general. Even in the wake of the McMillan firing this week, he's had a couple of columns that have uh, both been bangers. One that was maybe a little more scathing than the other, but also very fair. And uh, I encourage you all to uh, read those columns from Jeff and follow him on Twitter and listen to the episode that we've got coming for you. Just a quick housekeeping note: uh, we'll get to my conversation with Jeff, and then that'll be it for this week. Wolf On's back next week. We'll try to get back to two episodes a week. And also, once Wolf On's back next week, we'll have the uh, usual cadence to our show. Uh, we'll bring back Make or Miss. We'll get to uh, fan shout outs at the end of the show. We still do have a couple banks, but I encourage you again to reach out so we can get you uh, a fan shout out and get you in the bank there. But anyway, here's my conversation with Jeff Schultz, and I'll be back with Wolf On next week to talk to you all again. All right, Jeff Schultz, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Like I told you, I wanted to have you on because I've been reading uh, your coverage of the Nate McMillan firing and the fallout in Atlanta, and uh, I thought you'd be perfect to talk to about this today. So I think we can just jump right into it, and uh, I can ask you, first of all, despite what um, the Hawks front office has said, Mm -hmm. do you believe McMillan's firing is more team performance based, or do you believe it is more doesn't get along with Trey Young or clashes with Trey Young based, or, you know, doesn't get along with the players based.
1: I think in, in these situations and particularly in sports, people are always looking for black and white answers. Like it has to be his fault or his fault. Right. Um, And, and I think there are degrees of gray in here. The truth is uh, if let's start with Nate McMillan um, was a head coach, I believe for like 25 years. Uh, He won a lot of games. He's been fired a couple of times, obviously, but um, generally viewed as a solid coach, definitely old school, good guy, thoroughly professional, respected, certainly among his peers, Um, but old school. Uh, And I I would say, you know, probably has faults because he has a way of doing things Um, and maybe his um, messaging or his manner doesn't always connect with certainly the younger players uh today um players have changed a lot obviously they're uh they're a lot more empowered than they used to be and um uh and so you know in some respects nate worked really well two years ago i think in part because the players really did not like lloyd pierce and and so they when when lloyd pierce got fired and nate mcmillan moved over a chair and became the head coach i think there was this yay we got somebody else and I think he connected with them. I also think there were a couple of older players on that team that might have helped a little bit. Um, but the next two years didn't go well, and I think ultimately he proved to be kind of the wrong guy for this roster, the, this coach, and maybe even today's game. I don't know. Um, people are always going to debate that. But there is absolutely fault on the other side too. I mean, there were some players um, after the fire who basically said what I just said. Yeah, maybe Nate's not the right guy for – us, da, da, da. But some of the players who were saying this have been in the league four, five, six years. So it doesn't really make sense for them. I mean, if a couple of the rookies said that and they never would, that's a different story. Um, I think it's a bad mix of players on this roster, uh, chemistry-wise. I think the culture isn't really there. They don't really have an identity. So I realize I just kind of gave you a mixed answer. Um, I tend to put it more on the players in general. I think there's a lot of excuse excuse-making that goes on today. Um, I'm not saying Nate McMillan is not at fault for some of it, but, um, I think there's a leadership void on this team. Again, I think the mix of players is wrong. Um, and, and yeah, some of that goes on Trey Young, who is the highest profile player on the team, makes the most money, is the biggest star, is the guy who sells the most tickets and the most merchandise. And, um, it's incumbent on him, even if he's not, let's say a quote unquote natural born leader to sort of understand what his platform is. Um, and accept the responsibility that comes with that. So it was kind of a long-winded answer there.
0: I completely understand all of it. I guess um, my question off that would be, do you think that had the Hawks season from a win-loss perspective gone the way it's gone, the exact same, but McMillan uh, was seen to have connected more with the players or just didn't have these reported issues with Trey Young, do you think he'd still be coaching the Hawks? Or do you think just because of the fact that they had this disappointing season after... Not going all in, but definitely mortgaging some of their future to to make a win now trade. And you know, coming off the conference finals a couple of years ago, do you think that the team performance would have done him in anyway? Or do you think that relationship with Trey Young was like a, a big compounding factor in it?
1: Nate McMillan's relationships with Trey Young or any player aside, everybody gets judged on judged on wins and losses. So ultimately this came down to wins and losses. I I truly believe that. Since the run to the Eastern Conference Finals two years ago, it's barely a 500 team. And so, based on that alone and the talent they have, they should be better than that. They were a play in team last year. Um, right now, they're tracking to be a play in team this year. I'm not saying they're a top four team in the East, but they should be a solid top six team in the East, at least. They should be a solid playoff team. The other thing I would say is that. Um, There's some complicating factors here in that, uh, as you may know, um, the former general manager, Travis Schlink and the president of uh, basketball operations effectively was stripped of power and and forced out, although technically he's still an advisor on the team. Um, Landry Fields was promoted to general manager before this season. Um, The owner, the majority owner, Tony Ressler, um, tends to be a little bit of an emotional sort and understandably um, when the team went to the Easter conference finals two years ago, that became the new sort of expectation. And when it didn't go that way, he, you know, didn't respond well, which I, I probably do the same as a, as, a, as an owner. Um, and so now there's this over writing feeling of we need to go in a new direction. We need a culture change, da 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 da, And so, The question is, where does Nate McMillan fit into all that? Now, would you be asking all those other questions or having all those emotions if you were 15 games over 500 today? The answer is no, obviously. Um, So ultimately, it all starts with wins and losses. And from there, you you know, you just make your decisions.
0: We'll get back into, I guess, the coaching stuff. But I did want to ask you as a follow up to that question, because it's something I thought about uh, a lot. You know, we hear about blessings in disguise a lot, but... I almost wonder now as the years start going by, if that Eastern conference finals run for a few reasons no. in Atlanta might have ended up being a curse in disguise in the sense that from a lot of, you know, things I've read, including your own work. I know um, there's been a lot of talk of, no. about Tony Ressler becoming more hands-on as an owner. I know uh, I believe his son has kind of risen up the ranks when it comes to some basketball decision-making in the organization as well. And, and even I think it was Schlenk himself, when they started off poorly last season talked about how maybe the front office had gotten complacent and, and they were upset with how things were going last year. And it was, it was very reminiscent of things, teams that already are all in or are very much in the championship realm talk when they're having disappointing seasons. And I feel like most reasonable people could have looked at that Hawks team in 2021 and said, Hey, this was a great story. This was a great run. They have a foundational young player in Trey young, but no one actually believes this is, you know, a top two team in the East that needs to now live up to this standard for the next X amount of years. And yet inside the Hawks, you know, front office or whatever, it does seem like they feel that felt that way after that. So how do you feel about that? Do you think maybe it was a little bit too much too soon? And, and do you think that has maybe negatively impacted uh, the way the Hawks have run things in the last couple of years?
1: Uh, It's an excellent question. And I think the answer is yes. Um, I, I think, Travis Link, the general manager, on uh, the, the then the general manager, on some level, certainly probably knew that the team had uh, overachieved that year. Uh, I can tell you this when I was, I I'll recall this story, I've certainly never written it, but um, uh, I think I was talking to Chris Kirshner, who covered the Hawks for us at the time, walking out of the arena after that last loss that eliminated them in the Eastern Conference Finals to the Bucks. And I said to him, I turned to him, I said, you know, it's going to be different next year. I said, <laughs> this, this was. I mean, I, as we as we're walking out of the rain, I said it's going to be different next year. Uh, they're not going to surprise anybody, and I believe I believe now what I believed then, which was that was a team on the rise. There's no question that was a young, fun team on the rise. They were getting better, but equally important was to recognize that that, to your point, was not a "quote unquote" top tube team. They were that year. Um, they ran into a, a bit of good fortune. You know, the Knicks, the Knicks were a little bit of a mess, taking nothing away from what the Hawks did. The Sixers, as we, you know, later learned, were a little bit of a mess. Yeah. But again, the Hawks played really well that postseason. They won huge, not just huge games, but they won huge games on the road in difficult buildings to to win in in New York and Philadelphia. Um, and they gave Milwaukee a run. Mm-hmm. Um, and Milwaukee went on to win the the championship. So I uh I I do believe that um, there was overachievement that year. And I I think, yeah, people, we see this in sports. This isn't exclusive to the NBA or the Hawks. People get drunk on success, right? And um, here in Atlanta, actually, the Falcons uh, went to the Super Bowl in 2016. While everybody remembers it for, you know, the horrible collapse and led to the loss, the truth of the matter is that was a really, really good, fun team on the rise, a lot of young talent. And then they made mistakes the next couple of years again because they sort of were drunk in believing that all those young guys, you know, were ready to step into major roles now, or ready to take over. And um, it's hard in sports. Winning is so fragile, right? I mean, you've seen it, I'm sure you see it there in Toronto where you are. Winning is so fragile because you 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 see guys having success. And it's hard to step back and say, OK, is this the reality of the situation? Um, and th- that's why the great teams in professional sports that are able to reload every year and make tough changes and know what kind of not just the talent of players in the locker room, but the mix of players in the locker room. You know, that, that's, that's a really that's a really tricky, difficult thing. Um Short answer to your question is yes, I, I do think there was a, I don't know if I want to say it was a curse, but of I course, do think yeah. it, led to, but it led to, it led to some mistakes. It led to sort of this false expectation of, of where they were at that time.
0: Yeah, that, that's what it seems like on the outside, for sure. Going back a bit to the McMillan stuff, and I know you mentioned it actually earlier already in this episode and, and you had written about it in one of your latest pieces as well, that Clint Capella uh, basically full out said that perhaps Nate McMillan's old school messaging wasn't getting through to players or anything like from your perspective and being around the team like what do you think that old school messaging is was it just the way he literally delivered messages when they're going through film studies and practices was he too hard on them like what from your vantage point what do you think quote-unquote old school messaging means and why was it
1: such an issue with this team I would take it generally speaking much like a lot of the quote-unquote old school coaches that used to be you know Bobby Knight could not coach today in basketball.
0: Right, okay. right,
1: yeah. Um, because the personality of players is different. Again, like I said earlier, players are a lot more athletes even at the college level are much more empowered now. Um, a lot of the old ranting, you know, sideline football coaches would not be okay. You have to deal with personalities more. Um I I a lot of head coaches now are as much psychiatrists as, as they are, as they are X and O people, right. It's, it's managing personalities. And, and I said, I would say certainly with younger players, maybe not so much Clint Capella, I think Clint Capella and to some degree John Collins are trying to give big picture, you know, well thought out answers that for everybody. Um, but I, I think they were speaking more of the younger guys on the roster and, and, A lot of times coaches, let's say the old school coaches like Nate McMillan, I want to say him, are interested in winning today, winning now. And they trust veterans more. Um, And they know that when they give a certain message, their expectations are going to give a message and the guy's going to go do it as opposed to um, maybe development, as opposed to maybe cultivating, nurturing Uh, I hate to say too much because I don't want to shortchange Nate because, again, he he was a head coach for 25 years. I'm sure he developed a lot of young players. But I would just say we could acknowledge that things in sports have changed over the past several decades. And um, my, my business is different. Okay, I mean, I do. I write columns. Right. I mean, if I if I went back 30 or 40 years, you know, old, old school newspapers, columns. You know, you had people who wrote columns who never went downstairs, never talked to anybody and just went to their typewriter and screamed, you know, and that was the business. And I, you know, you can't do that today because you lose credibility. So even though I like personally, I take a strong position on things, sometimes not always, I still try to make it a point to talk to people on both sides, try to try to get information from both sides before I reach my decision um i think and and your business i mean all businesses have changed i just think i just think coaching has changed a lot i think coaches would tell you coaching has changed a lot and um it's hard for some guys and that's why um a lot of owners gms decision makers are looking for the next edgy i don't want to say new wave guy who basically connects with athletes because it's really about connecting with them and and getting them to to be motivated and developed everyday income together. And it's not an easy thing to do. It's not easy for, for coaches. It's not easy for teachers and middle school and, and anything. It's not, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to do to tap into today's today's player. And especially when there is, you know, a
0: pressure to win and to, you know, live up to a certain standard that perhaps the roster isn't capable of living up to. One thing I thought was interesting that Landry Fields who's now the general manager Uh, of the Hawks in case anyone listening to this wasn't aware of that uh, said said the last couple days and he felt he I felt I needed to light a fire under the team our objectives haven't changed this season and look I I know again as we said you know they have a bad disappointing record they're under 500 after a a big win now trade that involves selling off some of their future assets I know Nate McMillan could be unimaginative offensively and and didn't mesh with their star player and some of the young guys I know all that and Landry Fields can say you know, that they, they needed a fresh voice and, and acknowledge Atlanta's inconsistency this season and all that. But I always cringe a little when a front office person says that one of the reasonings for firing a coach is, quote unquote, lighting a fire under team's ass. And the reason I cringe is because to me, that reeks of desperation, you know, as opposed to, hey, we, we think we needed a new voice. We think we needed a coaching upgrade here's why like we we, the team isn't good at whatever it is as opposed to we really needed to light a fire under these guys ass because at that point that almost every single time really means we got a problem on this team and we don't know what to do about it and it's just easier to fire the coach and here's hoping this works and motivates the team and that is rarely a good recipe and I know hey some Hawks fans might say well didn't it work you know, a couple of years ago with Nate McMillan, and I get that, but look where we are. It, it's a very desperate reason to fire a coach, and I know it's not the only reason, but I don't know. I, how do you feel about that? Because when I read that in your story and that Landry Fields had said that, I cringed a bit, saying, "Ah, this, this is not going to go well."
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's the same reason sometimes. GMs in a certain sport will make a trade just to shake up the locker room to, to get everybody's attention, uh, and I, I think. In terms of firing coach, you know, obviously it's easier to fire the coach than 10, 15, 20 players, right? You can't yeah. you can't do it. But look, to your point, you and I can look at it, and I think most I think all of your listeners, you know, will will think, wait a minute, the guy's making 10, 20, 30, 40 million dollars a year. Shouldn't that be motivation enough to go out and play hard? Um, does he really need some artificial quote unquote fire? Exactly. to go out and play hard, to pull together. I totally get that. Um Now the flip side is I've never made 20, 30, 40 million dollars <laughs> <either, so> yeah. <laughs> a I'd like to, I'd like to learn to see how I would react to that. But I would like to think that, you know, I would, I would lean on the same love and desire and motivation I had when I was a kid and not making anything to, to win and go out. And, and I understand as you get older and have a lot of money mm-hmm. and, you know, most of us um, can't can't relate to their life, um, that there's a lot of distractions. Um, it's easy to get sidetracked, and it's really hard. But I totally agree. I think he said that just because that's... The bottom line is, a, a decision was made by Landry Fields and only Tony Wrestler and anybody else who was in that room that Nate McMillan is not going to be our coach moving forward. Right. Like, there's little question he was going to be fired after the season. Yeah. And so, and so it's like, let's just do this now. And let's quote unquote, try to light a fire into these guys and see what we have. Um, I think that's really what that was.
0: I want to finish with some Trey Young talk. And I'd encourage all of uh, our listeners to go read Jeff's uh, recent story titled, Hawks have fired another coach, but where's Trey Young in this? And there's this great anecdote in there about how a bunch of the Hawks were talking about the Nate McMillan firing yesterday, John Collins among them, Clint Capella among them. Dejounte Murray talked about calling Nate once he found out he was fired, and then you've got this great anecdote in there about how it was kind of TBD to be determined whether Trey Young was going to talk. And at one point, a spokesperson tells you guys he had to boogie. Trey Young didn't speak to the media. He had uh, to boogie. He had And, I, to and, only, and only
1: people, uh, and only people in a certain age in the media group, you know, probably knew what the word boogie meant. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I lived, I lived through boogie times and boogie nights.
0: <laughs> yes, I didn't. I didn't. But I still know that it very much meant, listen, yeah. Trey didn't yeah.
1: work. He had to get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah, I felt very nostalgic. Anyway, sorry. Moving <laughs> no, on. It was
0: great. It was Like I said, it was a great anecdote. I very much enjoyed it. And I, I encourage our readers, uh, our <laughs> listeners to go read that story. But again, from the outside, not being in Atlanta, not covering the team every day, but covering the league as a whole, it does seem that Slowly but surely over the last couple of years, these things have started to trickle out, whether it's Trey Young's not a leader or, you know, there has to be a maturity there as a franchise player or whatever it is. Have you seen that? Like, have you seen a negative change in Trey Young at all? Or do you think he is who he's always been? And it's maybe just not at this point in his career, not tailored to be the guy who stands up and takes it for a franchise and and puts it on his shoulders and takes that accountability and that leadership role.
1: I don't think Trey Young is ever going to be or has the desire to be the kind of guy who's going to jump up on a table and lead a team meeting and say, come on, guys, you know, this and that. I think his play will dictate that. Yeah. I mean, he'll, he'll take over a game and it's like, oh, this is our guy, feed him the ball, do what, you know, that I think that's going to be his leadership, which is fine. I mean, there've been a number of great athletes I've seen uh, over the years, my many years, who were not those quote unquote, call a team meeting leadership kind of guys. Um, But I do think um, where he falls short is, again, understanding his status and understanding the team goes as he goes. And I don't just mean on the court, I mean, in terms of how you carry yourself and how you act and, and understanding that responsibility. And there have been times, yeah, when I don't think he fully embraces that. And I strongly believe slash know on some level that there are people in the organization also who wonder and and certainly understand that that is an area that he needs to get better at. Whether he ever does get better at, I don't know. As I wrote in the column that you're referencing, uh, it was not a good luck yesterday. It was the day after they fired their coach. It was the first uh, media access to the team since before the All Star break, um, and this was on Wednesday. It was their first practice post All Star break, and they and they rolled out three players and And the interim coach and Trey Young was, was requested and he was not there and I I talked to people behind the scenes. I said, am I missing something here? I just want to make sure there's not like a
0: medical emergency
1: situation or something because guys have things come yeah. up And I was basically told he just said he had to go. I mean and that I, and, and the assumption is if they, if, if there was some one of those situations, they would probably know about it. And they probably certainly would inform the media, right. hey, just we're sorry, we he can't be here. And it would have been understood. It was just a bad look because, again, I don't think anybody expected Trey Young was going to come out and say something brilliant or whatever. It's just more like, you really should be out here, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, there have been other situations like that also. Uh, I'm not saying this is how he's going to be his whole career. I would say it is a concern on some level. Um and I, I would say around the league, yeah, part of me wonders, you know, what kind of reputation he's he's starting to get. I don't know. I you always wonder about that kind of thing. I will say this, um, and I think it's in the column, um, you know, people certainly Trey Young's strongest fans bash the media um for for criticizing their guy and da-da-da. Um, If you look at all-star voting this year, the way NBA all-star voting goes is there's three categories of voting, right? There's players, there's fans, and there's a media. Well, the media and the fans voted Trey Young like fifth, sixth, basically, right in that area for Eastern Conference guards. Players in the NBA voted Trey Young 12th among Eastern Conference guards, so this whole narrative about how the media hates Trey Young and it's all your fault. Well, we voted him higher among Eastern Conference cards than players did. Yeah, twice now, or higher. Yeah, yeah, twice. So the question is: Is that because players don't think he's that good, or because players don't like him? Either one's not that good, right? Yeah. And then obviously because. Nate's a popular guy. Everybody knew that Nate was having some problems with Trey. Lloyd Pierce, regardless of what you thought of him, there was this perception that Trey helped get fired. Coaches don't like that. So when it came time to adding players to the NBA Eastern Conference team, Trey Young was not added on the Eastern Conference team. We can debate whether that was right or wrong, but that was the situation. So that doesn't reflect well, certainly, on him. But again, he's young. This is his fifth year. He's whatever, whatever, 24, 25 years old. Um, there's plenty of time. You just don't know whether it's going to change or not. Yeah. And the, one thing I'd
0: say too, is, you know, for one, first of all, anyone who thinks that like the media hates Trey Young is completely delusional. Cause even as recently as a couple of years ago in that playoff series against the Knicks, other than New Yorkers and Knicks fans everyone was rooting for Trey Young in that series and what he was doing at Madison Square Garden and the way he was absolutely clowning Knicks fans. It's
1: like, a great he, story.
0: It was. He? He, he really had become one of the young darlings of the league, and I think everyone can agree with that. So anyone now saying, oh, well, the media hates Trey Young or has an agenda against Trey Young, I
1: promise you we don't. Like, Let me just say something. I'm in Atlanta. You're in Toronto. Sports fans are pretty consistent. And again, many have this perception that so-and-so writer hates my so-and-so team. Okay, you know what? We have bigger, more important things in our life than your point guard or quarterback or left wing or goalie. Okay, I I have a wife, kids, a grandchild, you know, um, a a paycheck, my life, friends. I I don't care about your guy or your team. I really don't. Sports writers want two things. That's all we. This is all we want. We want a great story to tell, and hopefully somebody somebody to help tell it. Okay. Trey Young was great for the media, like you said in, in two years ago, that whole thing where he bowed at Senate Court at Madison Square Garden. That was beautiful. Everybody wrote that. Everybody, pro- pro- he was great for, for the team. It was great for himself. It was great for the media because everybody had stories to write. Why in the world would I ever want to bash a, a potential great story, okay? Now, if if the great story sometimes is, oh my God, this guy crashed and burned. I don't take joy in him crashing and burning, but I'm going to write a story to paint a picture about it. You know, the thing about not talking yesterday, I mean it was a significant moment and I'm gonna write that. Yep. Are Trey Young fans happy about that? No, they hate me and they think I'm out to get their guy. And I've always run it. And that's why no great player wants to come to Atlanta to play for the Hawks because of me. No, I, so it makes no sense to, to put a bow on this particular conversation
0: i don't know if you saw ray young uh trey's dad tweet he blocked he has blocked oh, me on twitter so, so I, yeah. he tweeted yesterday and i genuinely cackled i laughed a lot when i saw it. he tweeted yesterday it was a picture it was like from behind and it was i guess his youngest son or one of his younger sons walking into school and what he mm-hmm. said was this is my sixth grader and he's five eleven. he's already taller than trey was at this age and a better pastor than trey was at this age and I'm debating or I'm I'm concerned about whether I'd even want him to be in the NBA because of all the stuff Trey has to go through. And I genuinely cackle. Look, I, I'm not minimizing that there are you know pressures and even when it comes uh stuff related to mental health with athletes, I realize they're still human. I'm not trying to say, hey, you know, all your problems go away when you make the NBA. Yeah. But to insinuate that the issues Trey has to deal with because he's in the NBA would make you not want another one of your sons to make it to the NBA and also become a multimillionaire athlete is, to me, so disingenuous. And just, I- I'm sorry, I-, I couldn't help but laugh. And I, I- again, it just puts a bow on this conversation.
1: Yeah, somebody yesterday brought that tweet to my attention. Like I said, Ray Young blocked me on Twitter for some reason. I still don't know a, <laughs> a, year, a year or two ago. Um, but showed that to me and I did. I did chuckle and yeah, he's, if his son can make it in the NBA, I think, I think Ray Young would be pretty happy that his son. <laughs> yes. Make it to the NBA and yeah. we'll, we'll put up with us vultures in the media to, to make 20 million a year.
0: Yes. Okay. Just a couple more questions. Cause I know you have to boogie eventually. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, w- with respect to that trade conversation. And even, you know, as you mentioned, and it was something I was going to bring up. He finished 12th in the player voting for all-star voting. I'm not sure. You know, I can't speak to what his chemistry with DeJounte Murray is or anything like that, but Right. Is it too early, do you think, to even start thinking about how the future could be negatively impacted? Or do you think there are genuine concerns about, look, when it comes to Trey, he's this obviously fantastic offensive talent between his scoring and his passing. But because of his defensive limitations, you also, he can't be the the guy who does it alone. Like he's not single-handedly dragging a team to a championship. So you're going to need help. And whether that's Deshaun Murray or more guys having to come later, if we are talking about a guy who's the 12th guard in the, in the East player vote, which seems ludicrous, and right. does have this reputation perhaps, is there any concern already creeping in in Atlanta that he might not be able to be the guy that, A, does it himself, or B, attracts other star players
1: to want to play with him? It's a very good question, uh, a question that they will need to answer. It is a new regime in the front office right now. And they, Landry Fields and Kyle Corver, former players, now assistant general manager, I think have a little different way of looking at things. Um, I would say that that will be a discussion. Um, I would say that they will give Trey, I mean, they're certainly going to wait till they hire a new coach, right? And wait to see how this develops. They're not, I mean, they're not going to trade Trey Young this offseason. That's not happening. Uh, I think he's got, I mean, he just signed his deal, what, last year? And he's probably he's probably got at least three years left, maybe four. I'm not even sure. But I think, to your point, in the future, you have to think, is this going to work or is this not going to work? And yeah, that's it. I, I think, it, because again, it's not just what kind of guy is he and is this who he is, but it's who can we bring in? because you you need to build around him. Right. I don't care if he's I don't care if he's a bad defensive player the rest of his career. That's fine. It's not if he's a, if he's a great offensive player and he helps you so much at that end, you sacrifice the other end. You just do. But can you build around him and can you bring in the right kind of guys around him who want to be around him to build a winning team? Um obviously you can. That's possible. But if there's this other part of trade that becomes a deterrent, then mm-hmm. They've got an issue. I just don't know. I don't think they've settled on that yet. And then obviously the other part of that equation, the reality of pro sports is the dude sells a lot of tickets. He sells a lot of jerseys. He's the marketing centerpiece. He's the guy on all the ads, the covers. Um, You don't just give that up because this is a business unless you've got a really, really good business. um, Unless you have a really, really good decision to do that because regardless of what decision or conclusion you come to, you're going to be giving up money, okay? Um, there are people who are going to say, I'm never, no, they might be not telling the truth, but they're going to say, I'm never going to go to another another game because you traded my guy, okay? I was here in Atlanta when the Hawks traded Dominic Wilkins, okay? And Will Neek was at the end of his career, and but there were people who just like, that's it. I'm, I'm done with them. We've seen this. You see this in every sport and every team. And um, so you need to really have your ducks in a row and really be sure that you need to move on from this guy um, if you're going to do that, because you're going to take a backlash. I just don't I don't think they're nearly at that point yet, but I think it's probably something that they're going to talk about if they haven't already. I just think they're going to give it more time with the new with the new coaching staff.
0: To piggyback right off that, I know there's been uh, reports about Quinn Snyder possibly and some of the assistants that are in the mix for the job. If you had a guess or an informed opinion, do you have a, a one way you're leaning where you think that's how it's going to end and who who the next head coach will be?
1: I mean, right now all indications are I think Shams, um, our staff, you know, tweeted a story today as we as we're taping this on Thursday, and that is um, Quinn Snyder is the number one target. Uh, I do believe uh, he is interested in this job. I do believe they're interested in him. I can tell you when he was assisting here in Atlanta, he was very well thought of and well liked. He did, I thought he did a good job in Utah. I thought some things that happened in Utah, you know, were sort of out of his control. Um, I think they potentially like the culture maybe that he, they could build with Quinn Snyder. The only thing that doesn't make sense to me, and I've said this, I've tweeted this is that I don't understand either wanting to make a change in season, which is which is the way s- things might be trending now. I don't understand Quinn Snyder wanting to take a job in season when you don't have everything in place, when you don't have your staff, and when frankly you can't use other potential offers after the season as leverage exactly. for either more money or more power. And I don't understand from the Hawks perspective, because even if you think you've sort of gone through and screened other candidates, you haven't really had sit down interviews with other candidates to say okay this is definitely the guy we want we want quinn snyder uh you're not doing that if you're doing it in season because there are potential candidates on other teams right now you'd have to wait till after the season so i don't really get that um maybe they would do it in season i don't know but i do believe yes that he is the number one target and i do believe there's another pool of candidates there if he says no We'll see how it develops.
0: I mean, obviously, fascinating to watch how that develops. Fascinating to see how the Hawks finish the seasons. I believe they're their eighth right now, uh, coming out of the All Star break, a game under five hundred. Their lineup of their best five players still performs pretty damn well, including on the defensive end, which is surprising because Trey Young's in it. Their second best lineup with Okongwu in for Capella also performs well, and again on the defensive end. So. Uh, there are reasons to believe this team is better than their record, but at some point, you know, we're 60 games in now, you do have to show it. Maybe that new coach will be able to get it out of them.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, I, I think we all agree that they have the talent um, to do better than they're doing. They have the talent to get in the playoffs. I, I, I don't really believe that they have the talent to go far in the playoffs, um, but yeah, I was here two years ago, didn't expect that either. So we'll... <laughs> yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah, maybe I'll be having you on in a couple months for an Eastern Conference Finals talk. Yeah, and I'll say, I saw it coming. <laughs> but we both did. We both did.
0: Anyway, uh, Jeff, I really appreciate you taking the time in uh, classic Pound the Rock fashion. I kept you longer than I told you I would, so apologies for that. But uh thought it was a great chat. So thanks again for your time.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Joseph. I enjoyed it.